Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon, and today we're going to learn the largest or longest parashia within Parashat Tzav of the Ptichot Dibur of the Torah of the Karbanot, beginning with Perek Vav Pasuk Yudzayin. Vayidaber Adonai El Moshe Lemor, Daber El Aaron Del Banav Lemor, Zot Torah Tachatat, Bimkom Asher Tishachet HaOla, Tishachet Tachatat Lefnei Adonai, Kodesh Kodoshim Hi. We're going to begin with uh, the laws of the Torah of the Chatat. We're going to see that within this section of chapter 6, verses 17, all through chapter 7, verse 21, we'll hear and learn the laws of the sin offering, the guilt offering, the peace offering, the thanksgiving offering, together this time with various accompaniments pertaining to Torah Kohanim. That's why, before we continue, we're going to pay attention now to this word of Torah. What do these instructions, in fact, include? We know that the word Torah is derived from Hora'ah, meaning instruction. So everything that we've been learning about until now, the Torah of the Ola, the Torah of the Mencha, is really where the name of Torah Kohanim is going to stem from, namely the instructions that are given not just to the Kohanim, but the role of the Kohanim to instruct the people. As we know much later on from Sefer Malachi, Kisifte Kohen Yishmru Dat Torah Yivakshu Mipihu. The Kohen's lips shall know knowledge and they shall seek instruction from his mouth. The Torah, then, is the instruction of the Kohanim relating to the service of the Mishkan. Therefore, the term is used in connection with the sacrifices, and particularly the aspect of the sacrifices in which the focus is on the Kohanim, as we're going to continue to see. So what is that aspect of the sacrifices, wherein the Kohanim are the main focus? Not as we've been speaking about in Parashat Vayikra, the actual offerings themselves that stem from the individuals coming to the Mishkan. Rather, Torah Korbanot, the teachings of the sacrifices that pertain to the Kohanim directly, are the instructions regarding consumption of the sacrifices. For this reason, we've been discussing how Parashat Zav is divided in different terms than Parashat Vayikra. Tzav is divided into Kodshe Kodoshim and Kodoshim Kalim. The former are eaten by the Kohanim, while the latter are eaten by the owners, other than particular parts that will be contributed to the Kohanim. Kodshe Kodoshim include the Ola, the Mencha, the Chatat, the Hashem, and that's why they appear in such order in Parshat Tzav. The Kodshe Kalim are the Karbanot Shlamim, including the Toda, which are eaten by the owner. Likewise, we're going to continue to learn today how the laws of when and where the sacrifices are to be eaten are different in each of these categories. The Kodshe Kodshim are eaten by the Kohanim in the Chatzer of the Ohel Moed in a sanctified place. The Kodshe Kalim, in contrast, are eaten around the Mishkan. In the time of the Mishkan, that included Kol Haro'e, any place from wherein the Mishkan could be seen in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, anywhere in Yerushalayim. So before we continue with our Torah Tachatat today, let us quickly review the laws of the other Kodshe Kodshim that we've learned until now, namely the Karban Ola. There we saw how there isn't any part consumed by the Kohen. The altar alone consumes the entire animal of the Ola. The role of the Kohen then is to take up the ashes from the Mizbech and remove them to a place outside of the camp. That in fact completes the consumption of the Ola upon the Mizbech. The unit of Torah Ta'ula, and the offering of the ashes, the Trumat basically form the foundation 
for the daily order of what was going to happen in the Mishkan. Every night, the sacrifices from the previous day would be offered upon the Mizbah, including the Tamid of Ben Harbayim. So the service of every new day began early in the morning, with the Kohen performing the Trumat Adeshen, the taking up and removing of the ashes. We then continued with Torah Tamincha. In the teaching of the meal offering, we found instruction as to how the Kohen consumes the Mincha, and in contrast to the burnt offering, which is consumed entirely upon the Mizbeach, the meal offering is eaten by the Kohanim, since it's Kotshe Kotshim. The specific laws as to how to prepare the Mincha were given in Parshat Vayikra, but the essence of Torah Mincha was how the Kohen is going to eat. With a focus then on the Kohen, we continue to learn a particular Karbanot Mincha that are only offered by the Kohen, and as such, he does not consume them because they're going to be burned upon the Mizbeach. These were the Minchat Chabitin, the pancake-like flower offerings that will be offered as a Minchat Chinuch by every Kohen, and at the same time, on a daily basis, offered in the morning and in the evening by a Kohen Gadol. Let us continue now with the next Dibur, the next utterance that will introduce Torah Tachatat. Perik Vav Pasuk Yudzayin, Vayidabar Adonai Moshe Limor, Daber Al Aaron Ve'albanav Limor, Zo Torah Tachatat, B'mkom Asher Tishachet, Ha'ola Tishachet Tachatat, Lefnei Adonai, Kodesh Kadoshim Him. Hakohena Mechateota Yochlena, B'makom Kadosh Te'achil, V'chatzar Or Mo'ed. Kol Asher Yiga B'Ptsara Yikdash, V'asher Yize Midama Al Habeged, Asher Yize Alaha Tachabes, B'makom Kadosh. וכלי חרס אשר תבושל בו ישבר, ואם בכלי נחושת בושלה ומורק ושותף במים, כל זכר בכהנים יאכל אותה קודש קודשים היא. וכל חטאת אשר יובא מדמה על עול מועד לכפר בקודש, לא תאכל באש תשרף. This is the teaching of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, so too shall the sin offering be killed before Hashem. This is Kodesh Kodoshim, the Most Holy. The Kohen who offers it for a sin shall eat it. In the holy place it shall be eaten, in the courtyard of the Oel Mo'ed, the Tent of Meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy, and when any of its blood is sprinkled upon any garment, you shall wash that which it was sprinkled in the holy place. But a klecheres, an earthen vessel, in which it is boiled, shall be broken, and if it's boiled in a brass pot, then it must be scoured and rinsed with water. No sin offering, of which any of the blood is brought to the Olmoed to be sprinkled in the holy place, shall be eaten, because that will be burnt in the fire. These laws are very reminiscent of what we see with regard to the Karban Ola, consistent with the laws of Kotshe Kotshim. Here, however, the laws are a little more detailed, taking into account that the Kohen is going to consume part of the Chatat, and at the same time it's different because it involves an animal sacrifice as opposed to what we've seen by the Karban Mencha. That's why the laws were included with regard to the sense of slaughtering the Karban Chatat and sprinkling the blood as we've seen in Parshat Vayikra on the wall of the Mizbeach. One has to be careful that if some of that blood is sprinkled upon garments, the garments then become holy as well and must be washed. Other new laws that we haven't heard until now include the status of the vessels in which parts of the sacrifice are going to be cooked, because this time again the Kohen is going to be involved in the consumption of the Korban. So we hear about the status of the vessels in which part of the Korban is going to be cooked, namely an earthenware vessel which has to be broken, or a brass vessel 
that has to be scoured before it may be continued to be used. This is not speaking about forbidden substances, but rather sanctified food. Why then are we so concerned with regard to the earthenware and the brass vessels? Why do they require any type of cleansing or breaking process? The answer, quite simply, is that since the sin offering cannot be eaten the next day, as we've learned, whatever flavor of the meat that's absorbed into the pot falls under the category of notar, the remainder of the korban, which is in fact forbidden. Therefore, it's vital that all the vessels of the temple have to be either broken if they cannot be expelled or scoured with boiling water and rinsed each and every day. In addition to ensuring that the Kohanim will not eat any of the forbidden leftovers of a karban, this law also has hygienic significance to ensure that the kelim of the Mishkan are going to be cleaned not only of previous day sacrifices, but of all different types of impurities. We now continue with the Parshiyah, just as it was juxtaposed to the Chatat in Parshat Vayikra, so to here in Parshat Sav, Zotorat HaShem, Beginning with chapter 7. Vizot Torah Tasham, Kodosh Kodoshimhu. Bimkom Asher Yishkatu et Haola, Yishkatu et Tasham, Betamo Yisrok Alamizbeach Saviv, Bet Kol Chelbo Yakriv Mimenu, Et Alia, Betachilev Hamachaset Akiriv, Bet Shteha Klayot, Betachilev Asher Alehen, Asher Al Haksalim, Bet Hayoteret Al Akavid, Al Haklayot Yisirena, Victiro Tama Kohen Hamizbeha, Yishel Adunai Ashamhu, כל זכר וכהנים יאכלנו במקום קדוש יאכל, קודש קודשים הוא. כחטאת חאשם, תורה אחת להם, הכהן אשר יכפר בו לא יהיה. And this is the teaching of the guilt offering. It is considered קודש קודשים. So in the same place where they killed the עולה, that's where the guilt offering, the קרבן אשם, will be killed as well. Its blood shall be sprinkled around the מזבח. He shall offer it, referring to the Kohen, all of the fats, the fat tail and the fat that covers the innards, reminding you that for a Karban Hashem, an ayil was brought, and the kidneys, the fat that's upon them, and the appendages above the liver and the kidneys, all of this shall be removed, and the Kohen shall burn them upon the Mizbeach for a Karban. This Karban Hashem, like the Karban Chatat, is the same, the Kohen who makes atonement, namely the Kohen who sacrifices this karban on behalf of the person bringing it, he shall be the one to eat the remainders. In our parsha, the Torah describes in detail the laws of the karban Hashem because none of these laws appeared in Parshat Vayikra. Interestingly, these laws are identical to the laws of the Chatat, some of which did appear in Parshat Vayikra. The same place where the guilt offering is slaughtered is the same place where the chatat is slaughtered. The laws pertaining the offering of the fats, the details of how it's going to be consumed, are completely identical, just as the Torah noted. Ke karban ha-chatat. Just like the sin offering, so is the guilt offering. Torah achat lahim. There is one teaching for them. The only difference is that the laws of sacrificing a guilt offering are presented only in Parshat Sav and not in Parshat Vayikra indicating some unique aspect to the Karban Hashem. Perhaps it's because, as we discussed in Parshat Vayikra, that the Hashem allows for some level of atonement for basic negligence in behavior, and also even for some intentional aspects of sin when one takes upon oneself an oath that one did not steal an object or one did not find an object belonging to someone else. And the Torah teaches that even for somewhat intentional sins, 
there still is room for atonement. The Torah concludes this section on the Kachi Kachim with the various details of the laws regarding the skin of the Karban Ola, which is given to the Kohen who offers it, and the laws of the various meal offerings that are baked in an oven or fried or baked in a pan. So let's continue now with verses 8 through 10 in chapter 7. The Kohen who offers any man's burnt offering, that Kohen shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered, and the meal offerings that are either baked in the oven, the mafet hanur, or the machvat, those that are prepared in a frying pan, or in the deep pan, the marchashet, all of these shall belong to the Kohen who offers it. The meal offerings, however, that are mixed with oil, namely a regular menchat solet or a dry mencha, which is generally the meal offering of a sinner because it's not mixed with oil, these may be eaten not by the Kohen who is offering it, but by any of the Kohanim on a given shift. The Ramban explains the difference through the terms of the extra effort that are required to bake it. Apparently, those types of anachot that require greater preparation allow for the Kohen to eat more of a part of it. And that's why the Torah doubles the Kohen's reward, granting him most of the meal offering to eat, while the regular or the dry meal offering is shared. However, we discussed in Parshat Vayikra that the meal offerings can be prepared by a non-Kohen, that it's actually the person bringing the Karban who undergoes the preparation of whether or not to prepare it as a ma'fetanur, machvat, marcheshet. He's the one who invests the effort in preparing it, not the Kohen. Rashi, however, quotes Chazal, who explained that what the Torah means is not that there is a distinction between the various types of menachot and which Kohen can eat what, but rather that the Kohen who performs the offering always shares all the sacrifices, all the menachot, with all of the Kohanim who are present on that shift. In other words, the priestly household on duty at the time, which we know in the time of Aaron consists of his sons, but later on will have various mishmarot. The Midrash cited by Rashi states, La Kohen Hamakrivota, Yachol Lo Levado, could it be that the sole Kohen who offers the Karban is allowed to consume everything? Talmud Lomar, Lachol Aaron No, that's why by the end of the Parshia, we find that all the children of Aaron may participate. Yachol Chulan, does that make sense that every Kohen is going to eat of every Karban? That's why the Parshia had to begin with Kohen HaMakriv to teach you only the Kohanim on site that day that are going to be involved in offering sacrifices, namely that Beit Av, that group of Kohanim on shift, they will be the ones to participate in every Karban Mancha that's offered. This arrangement seems to be designed to avoid any argument over each and every meal offering. By means of a division among all the Kohanim, the Torah prevents attempts by the Kohanim to claim for themselves whoever brings a meal offering in order to be able to eat it, which I can imagine could create aggressive competition. Now that we've concluded the laws of the Kodshei Kodshim, we're going to continue with the Kodshei Kalim, the Torah Tashlamim. Verse 11, V'zo Torah Tzavach Hashlamim asher yakriv l'adonai. Imal toda yakrivenu v'hikriv al zavach ha-toda chalot matzot bululot b'shemen urkike matzot meshuchim b'shemen v'solet morbechet chalot bululot b'shemen al chalot lechem chametz yakriv karbano al zavach todat shlamav. And this is the teaching of the peace offerings which he shall offer to Hashem. 
if he offers it for Thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of Thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil and cakes mixed with oil, a fine flour that are well soaked together with loaves of leavened bread shall he make his offering. And this is added to the peace offering of Thanksgiving. Notice how the category of the peace offerings, the kachik kalim, which will be eaten also by the owners, are introduced with a unique Thanksgiving offering. This is a special sacrifice that's brought with offerings of bread, three types of matzot, as well as loaves of leavened bread of chametz. There is no other sacrifice brought by an individual that includes leavened bread. After all, we learned in Barashat Vayikra that one is not allowed to bring chametz to the Mizbeach. There is no other karban yachid, individual karban, that includes leavened bread. There is only the communal offering, the karban tibur of the Menchach Tehalechem, that's brought on Shavuot. How are we to understand this chametz that's brought with a Thanksgiving offering and the two loaves that are offered on Shavuot? Perhaps if we understand the significance of matzah, then we'll be able to appreciate the uniqueness of a karban that's brought from chametz. Let's begin with some of these karbanot, some of the kachek kalim that are brought with matzah that share similar qualities of being eaten by the owner, but as opposed to most kachek kalim that are allowed to be eaten during the day and at night and the following day, these are three sacrifices that are brought but may only be eaten on the same day and the same night. We begin then with the Karban Pesach. The Pesach sacrifice, as we know, is offered with matzah. We've learned in Shemot Perik Yudbet, the matzah is not brought with any oil, but rather with bitter herbs, expressing the affliction, the bitterness of Am Yisrael after years of servitude, waiting for miraculous deliverance. Secondly, the ayel that's brought by the Kohen. The Kohen, upon the days of his Miloim, commences his service by bringing three types of matzah, loaves and wafers, and also loaves of fine flour that are soaked in oil, making them softer. All three include oil, but no chametz. The newly inaugurated Kohanim embark on a journey of priesthood, a responsibility that has no end. Whereas a soldier is eventually discharged from his service, even a levy reaches the end of his service at the age of 50, but a Kohen is a Kohen forever. So when the Kohen brings his basket of matzot with his sacrifice, eaten during the days of his inauguration, he recognizes that he's embarking on a lifelong journey. Reminding us also of the Shlamim of a Nazir. When the Nazir, upon the days of his completion, brings his peace offering, he also accompanies it with a basket of unleavened bread, two types of matzot, namely matzot that are mixed with oil and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil. Here too we're speaking of someone who's about to embark on a long journey. He may have completed his days of nizirut, of separation, but that was really his preparation to serve for a much more elevated life to follow. So although we alluded to this with regard to the discussion of not bringing chametz to the Mizbeach and Parshat Vayikra, we see that the common denominator of these kotshek halim that are brought with matzot is the symbolic recognition that we're about to begin a process. We're about to begin a journey. And therefore, going back to Karban Pesach, Am Yisrael there were about to embark on a journey that, just like the Kohen and the Nazir, will be an eternal one. So where does the Karban Toda that's offered with chametz fit into all of this? The Karban Toda, albeit similar in that one can also only eat it during the day and at night, is quite different in that it's accompanied by chametz. We're left with the Karban Toda and the Bikurim offered on Shavuot that both have an accompanying chametz offering. The Karban Toda, the Thanksgiving offering, is brought at the end of a period 
or after an incident when a person can look back and appreciate the hands of Hashem and His salvation. This is exactly what the Bikurim expresses well. When an individual brings his Bikurim to the Mikdash, he gives thanks not just for the fruit that the land has yielded, but he looks back at the entire process, beginning with Arami Ovedavi, how his father was a wandering Armenian. The Bikurim offering of Am Yisrael is a whole on Shavuot, invite us to look at our past, to appreciate what we've experienced. This is the end point of a long journey over the course of which Am Yisrael has merited to receive the Torah, receive the land, appreciate the fruits of the land. That's why the Bikurim offering is called the Korban Reshit, because it involves the first of the fruits of the land, but at the same time, it's also a conclusion. It's also the completion of a process and the expression of thanksgiving for reaching the land that was promised to us and finally meriting to grow fruit in it. Thereby we see the chametz is an expression of an aim, of a purpose. It expresses the end of a long journey on which Am Yisrael embarked on beginning from Pesach. So if Pesach begins with the eating of matzah, it's completed by Shavuot with the bringing of chametz. This is reflected also on the individual scale. When a Kohen or a Nazir first begins his process, he brings a karban of only matzah, symbolizing the fact that he recognizes that he's just beginning a journey, whether it be the lifelong journey as a Kohen or an improved life trajectory as a Nazir. But an individual who's already gone through the process, who has then been saved by Hashem after a very long journey, he's the one who may bring chametz, recognizing that he's arrived at his destination. His karban, however, the Torah teaches us, is accompanied by both matzah and chametz, recognizing that he went through the stages of matzah, of affliction, and how Hashem's hand was evident in bringing him to the end of the process, thereby expressing this with the addition of chametz. We are now going to continue with the pesukim that deal with the end of the Torah tashlamim, other detailed laws pertaining to the consumption of these karbanot by the kohanim. Pasuk Yudalid, the Kohen again is the one who's allowed to eat of this Karban Shlamim. And the Karban of the Todah may be eaten on the day that it's offered. He's not allowed to leave anything until the next morning. In other words, he has the day through the night in order to eat this. There is another type of shlamim, not just the todah, but if the sacrifice is brought as a neder, onedava, a vow, or a free will, voluntary offering, then one is allowed to extend more or less the time of the eating of the sacrifice. Iyah is not only allowed to eat it on the day in which it's brought, but continuing till the next day. The Kohen may eat this karban on the day in which it's brought, including the night, even including the next day, but anything that remains on the third day has to be burnt with fire. Pasuk Yudchet, Ve'im, and if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering is eaten on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it accomplish what it was meant to. It shall be something that's considered pigul, an abomination, and the person who does eat of it shall bear his iniquity. 
The Torah Tashlamim concludes with further prohibitions. Pasuk Yutet, Babasar Asher Yiga Bechotamei, Lo Yachel Ba'ish Yisarif, Babasar Kotahor Yochal Basar. Anyone who has touched something that's Tamei may not eat of the Karban Shlamim, but rather it shall be burnt. Only one who is Tahor, who is pure, may eat of this Basar. So to someone who himself is Tamei may not participate in the consumption of the Karban Shlamim. And lastly, Albeit we haven't yet learned of these particulars of what is going to be considered Tamei, the Torah already tells us that anyone who touches any one of these objects, including the Tumah of the Adam, the impurities of man, or of animals, or of anything that will be considered shekets, disgusting, and then eats of the sacrifice of the shlamim, he shall be cut off from his people. According to the plain sense of the scriptural text, what we just read were various laws concerning when and how the karban shlamim may not be eaten. The Torah began with a command that the sacrifices should be eaten within their designated times, one or two days, and that any meat that remains after the designated time on the third day must be burnt. If a person eats of the flesh of a peace offering on the third day, then the sacrifice becomes retroactively disqualified, and the person who eats of it will bear his sin, for the meat, if you remember, has become pigul. So too, any karban that has become tamay or any person who has become Tamei may not participate in the sacrifice nor consumption of the Korban. Chazal, however, understood the laws, particularly of Pigul, in somewhat of a different manner. This is summarized by the Rambam in Hilchup Sulei HaMikdash, Perak Gimel. It was learned from Torah Shabal Peh that this Pasuk, and if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering is eaten on the third day, refers only to where there was an intention at the time of the offering that some of it would be eaten on the third day, and that the same law applied to any sacrifice. Namely, if there was an intention that they be performed after their proper time, the offering was deemed to be pigul. In the case of an offering, however, where the intention had not been improper and its blood had been sprinkled upon the altar as required by law, but part of it remains after the proper time for eating it, that part which remained was called notar, leftover, and it was forbidden to eat it, but the offering itself had already been accepted and effected atonement. According to Chazal, the law of pigul is not what follows from the plain sense of the pasuk from the pshat. The critical factor, according to Chazal, is not the time at which the sacrifice is actually eaten, but rather the intention of the offerer at the time of the sacrifice itself. Why did Chazal interpret the psukim this way, in a manner that deviates from the pshat? How could they propose such an interpretation? It seems that Chazal were trying to emphasize the value of the intentions of the one offering the sacrifices, which are more important than his actual actions. What turns a korban into pigul is not what a person does, but what the person is thinking about at the time of the korban. The Rambam explains the motivation of Chazal and the Sanhedrin to change a law, even in the case of explicit regulations that are not based on interpretations of the psukim, in order to bring back the multitudes to religion and save them from general religious laxity. It appears that this is what motivated Chazal as learning these verses to internalize the importance of the attention that accompanies sacrifices. 
The details of the laws are meant to enable us to focus not just on the particulars of the actions as we bring a korban, but certainly on what we're thinking when we do so. Before we continue with the next p'tichat ibur, beginning in Pasuk Chavbet, with further details of what is forbidden to be consumed by a kohen and whatnot, we are going to continue tomorrow with some of these very interesting laws of the Shlamim, noting how the Kachei Kalim are in fact different in their details than the Kachei Kotshim, primarily with regard to the focus on when a Karban Shlamim may be eaten.